in this story today, from the beginning to the end of this message, our Lord Jesus Christ will be dead. We know that Jesus is not dead right now. That's what we're getting ready to celebrate next Sunday. Amen? Raise your joys and triumphs high. But that's next week. In this story, in this passage of Scripture that we are considering this morning, John chapter 19, verses 31 through 42, Jesus is dead. Totally dead. No breath in his lungs. No beating in his heart. No brain waves in his skull. Hook him up to all the medical technology that you could ever find. There will be no life detected. He was gone. Have you ever seen a dead person? Most of us have. Not everybody has. Last week we read about his dying. We started up in verse 17 and watched him carry his own cross to his own execution. And we read about his crucifixion. Nailed to a cross, like Josh's sculpture that he did for us over here. Nailed to a cross and fighting against asphyxiation, pressing up with the legs to open up the chest cavity so the air could get in so that he could just live just a little bit longer. And then, how long can you stay like that? Not very long, and down you go again. And then he would fight again for the next breath. Excruciating, we get that word from cross, excruciating pain and anguish and agony and horror Shame. The execution squad gambling for his last stitch of clothing. A mocking placard pasted above his head, charging him in effect with sedition and insurrection and rebellion. Incredible thirst. One of his last words were, I thirst. And then when his tongue was moistened, he yelled out in a loud voice, It is finished! And he gave up his spirit and he died. He wasn't pretending. He wasn't faking. He wasn't acting. After he died, nobody yelled, Cut! That was good, Jesus. Well done. And he puts his head back up and smiles and gets up off the cross wasn't like that. He wasn't faking. He wasn't acting. It wasn't just a show. Jesus was executed and died. Jesus laid down his life and died. He was now a corpse. A corpse nailed to a cross. And he's going to stay a lifeless corpse throughout this message this morning. 
He's not going to do anything. He's not going to say anything. He's not going to teach anything. He's not going to do any miracles. He's just hanging there. In fact, when we go to sing our closing song this morning, we're only going to sing the first three verses and not the one about the resurrection. You'll have to come back next week if you want to sing more about the resurrection. Today in this story, Jesus will stay dead. I think it's good for us to think about Jesus as being truly dead. The Bible emphasizes it. It gives us these 12 verses in John's Gospel and more in the other Gospels and about what happened on on Friday night and all day Saturday. We, We rush on to Sunday, right? We say, it's Friday, but Sundays are coming. We love it. But he was silent on Saturday. The Bible emphasizes not only that Jesus truly died, but that he was truly buried. It's one of the reasons why when we baptize, we put them back down into the water, like they're being buried. The Apostle Paul said that Jesus' burial was an essential part of the gospel of first importance. It matters that he was buried. The Apostles' Creed that we've been confessing with the whole church throughout space and church history is very concise, but it makes sure to include that Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. We all want to get to the resurrection, but we have to go through the death first and the burial. I noticed that most of the pronouns change in this story. There's a lot lot fewer, at this point in the story, there's a lot fewer he's and him, and there's a lot more it's to describe his body. John keeps saying, the body of Jesus, the body of Jesus, because he has given up his spirit. This body is a corpse hanging there, suspended in the air, nailed to the cross. He is dead. Now, they didn't all realize it at first. Nobody's checking his pulse. Nurses aren't coming on rounds to check his vitals. And he could be hanging on. Victims of crucifixion could last for days. But this was a holy week for the Jews, and they wanted this this whole thing kind of hurried up. Look at verse 31. Now, it was the day of preparation. That's the day before the Sabbath of Passover week. And the next day was to be a special Sabbath, the Sabbath of Passover week, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We've got to get things cleaned up for that. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. They wanted things sped up. Come on. We got a holiday to have here. I got a 
roast lamb in the oven. The Romans liked to leave the criminals on the cross until the vultures ate them off. The crucified were a warning to others. They were billboards hanging there saying, this is what happens when you rebel against the power of Rome. That's what the Romans like to do. But the Jews, they did not normally practice crucifixion. They didn't have the power to do that under Rome. The, the, the Jews could stone somebody, but not crucify them at this time. The Jews were taught by Moses to never leave someone hanging overnight. Read Deuteronomy chapter 21 to see that. And how they followed that, in, that law in the book of Joshua chapter 8. Maybe this afternoon, look at Deuteronomy 21 and look at Joshua 8 to see how they practiced when they had some kind of a hanging. Well, you take them down before nightfall. And they especially didn't want that mess hanging there during the Passover. How gauche, how tacky, how unholy and unclean. So they asked Pilate to have the three criminals' legs broken. What would that do? Well, if you can't push up on the stake with your legs, you die much more quickly of asphyxiation. Look at verse 32. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Huh. This one's already checked out. Think about this. The men on either side of Jesus are still struggling to breathe. And they might do that for days if left unchecked. The other Gospels tell us that they deserve to be there and had heaped abuse at Jesus. And then one of them repented and asked Jesus to save him right then and there. And Jesus did. Well, Jesus died. But that guy was still alive. Still fighting to breathe. He won't be alive for long. Because the soldiers have taken a club and beaten his legs till they're broken. But they didn't have to break Jesus' legs. He was dead already. He was dead already. Further proof? Look at verse 34. Instead of breaking his legs, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Did that hurt him? He just got pierced in the side with a spear. Did that hurt Jesus? What's the answer to that one? No. It didn't hurt him because he was already dead. He didn't feel it. Apparently, the blood from the heart mingled with the fluid from the pericardial sac to produce a flow of blood and water from out of Jesus' side. 
I don't know why the soldier did it. John doesn't say. Perhaps to confirm his death, which it certainly did. But maybe just out of cruelty, brutality, perversity. Either way, it proved that Jesus was dead. He didn't flinch. He just flowed. His fluids just flowed out of his side. The color would have drained out of his skin. He was gone. And his body still nailed to the cross. Look at what John says in verse 35. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. Now, I believe that John is talking there about himself. He's saying that he saw this monstrous thing with his own eyes, and he's telling us this so that we might know the truth from an eyewitness so that we also might believe. And here's what we need to believe. Jesus was dead. Totally and truly dead. John says, don't believe anyone who says that it was faked. Don't believe the conspiracy theories that Jesus just passed out, that he swooned on the cross. No, he died. He was so died that the soldiers, who knew their business, didn't break his bones. And, and blood and water came pouring out of his side. I saw it. Believe me. He was dead. That fact, that historical fact will be very important when we get to chapter 20. But amazingly, just because Jesus is dead doesn't mean that he isn't doing anything. Jesus is so wonderful that even though he was truly dead, he was still accomplishing great things. Today I want to point out two from this passage and apply them to our lives in 2022. Here's number one. Even though he was dead, Jesus was fulfilling Scripture. If you're taking notes, that's point number one. Even though he was dead, Jesus was fulfilling Scripture. That's the point that John makes in verses 36 and 37. These things happened so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. Quote, not one of his bones will be broken, end quote. And as another Scripture says, quote, they will look on the one they have pierced, end quote. Here he is dead, and Jesus is still fulfilling Holy Scripture. That's amazing. Just like Psalm 34, 20 predicted a thousand years before Jesus was born, the Messiah would have no broken bones. He was like the... It was like the Passover lamb, right? This was Passover season. And how many times is Jesus likened to the Passover lamb? Well, in Exodus chapter 12, the Israelites were told, do not break the lambs 
of the lamb, break the legs of the lamb of the Passover. Jesus was the Passover lamb. And Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, predicted that the guilty will look on the one they have pierced. Pierced. Not just crucified, but pierced. Not just hung there, but pierced. That passage is quoted again in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, for a greater fulfillment still yet to come when he returns. Did these soldiers know what they were doing? Were they like, today we get to fulfill Scripture, guys? No, they didn't know. In fact, they probably never realized what they were doing. But John could see that the Lord was doing it through Jesus even though he was dead. John keeps pointing this out again and again in his gospel. God is keeping his promises. God is fulfilling the scriptures. Everything he said was going to happen did. And not even the death of Jesus would stop it. In fact, the death of Jesus just carries it all along to its inevitable fulfillment. Even though he was dead, Jesus was fulfilling the scriptures. Now, think about that and apply it to your own life right now. Just how committed is the Lord to fulfilling all of the scripture? Do you know what the scripture says is going to happen? If you don't know, why not? I mean, it's more trustworthy than anything else you could rely on. What's the weather going to be tomorrow? You're like, it's Pennsylvania, it'll be everything, right? But if you want to know what the weather's going to be, you open your weather app, right? And then it's kind of something like that, maybe. You reach for your weather app, right? And how trustworthy is that? And yet you reach for it. Have you reached for your Bible to see what's going to happen in your world? To see what's going to happen to you? Do you know what God has promised you? And how sure is that? Even in his death, Jesus was fulfilling the scriptures that pointed to his coming and the manner of the death that he would die on our behalf. Do you see how powerful this Lord is? Now, some people might say, well, what kind of power is it if, if it suffers through crucifixion? Couldn't you do a little better than crucifixion? I would say, what kind of power is triumphant even through the tragedy of crucifixion? To use even that. More than that, what kind of power predicts 1,000 years before the fact that a certain man would die a certain way with no broken bones? What kind of powerful sovereignty is it that makes a promise to a rebellious people that they would see a pierced God and then goes through with the painful reality of it 500 years later? This is God, friends. Only God does this, beloved. And he was doing it while Jesus was dead. And John says he saw this with his very own eyes and has told us so that we also may believe. Do you believe? 
What are you counting on? What are you counting on for your salvation? Many count on such flimsy things like their own goodness, their own good works, their net worth, their family connections, their religious denomination. What if we counted on something much more powerful that looked powerless? Imagine putting your faith in a corpse. Looks like it can't do anything. And yet it's done everything. What if we counted on the fulfillment of Scripture by a dead man? Remember 1 Peter 3.18? For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you also may believe. Number two and last. Even though he was dead, Jesus was inspiring bold witness. If you're taking notes, that's point number two. Even though he was dead, Jesus was inspiring bold witness. Look at verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. I think that is truly amazing. The other Gospels tell us that Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man and a member of the ruling class in Israel. In fact, he was actually a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious council, the ruling council, that had disagreed and had disagreed with their verdict in the trial of Jesus. In fact, he was a disciple of Jesus. He was one of Jesus' followers. But verse 38 says he was a secret disciple. Is that a thing? Can't be for long. A secret disciple is something of an oxymoron. It says Joseph feared his fellow Jews until Jesus died. And now Joseph steps out into the open and asks Governor Pilate for permission to take the body of Jesus off of the cross. Can I have that? I'm one of his followers. Can I take his body? See, this is something the Romans didn't normally do. Sometimes, if a family asked, they would let them have the body for a burial. Most of the time, not. Most of the time, the family would not ask. Because asking would associate them with the convicted criminal. They might be next. Oh, you're, you're with him? Okay, you'll be with him. The Jews wanted these bodies down and hidden away. 
Who knows what they would have done if they got the body? Shallow grave? Ditch somewhere? Or somewhere his disciples could not gain access? But here is Joe from Arimathea publicly asking for permission to take the body and bury it himself. Big target on his back. And it's not just Joe. It's also Nick. You remember Nick at night? Verse 39. Joseph was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. That's John chapter 3. Nicodemus was the man whom Jesus told, you must be born again. You must be born again. I believe that Nicodemus was. But he too was a secret disciple until this moment. He'd come at night so nobody knew he was interested in Jesus. He too was a leader among the Jews. He was a teacher. Jesus said, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't know this stuff? But he had come in darkness and stayed in the darkness until Jesus was dead. And now Nick has stepped into the light and is putting his life at risk to identify with and bury the body of Jesus. That is bold witness. So let me ask you, are you trying to be a secret disciple? Oh yeah, I follow Jesus here, Sunday mornings. Nice and safe in this room to follow Jesus, right? You don't get in trouble in this room for following Jesus. But I never raise the flag out there. I'm just quiet about it. I don't make a big deal about it. I don't try to get others to follow Jesus. I'm not a fanatic. I'm a secret follower of Jesus. The people who are getting baptized next Sunday have come to believe that they need to tell the world that they belong to Jesus now. They are no longer going to be silent or secret or scared. They're going to be public and visible and audible out of the darkness and into the light, out of secret and into the open They are going to witness to Jesus as their Lord. How about you? This week is a great week to go public. This is a great week to start a conversation. This is a great week to hand someone a yellow Easter book and offer to get together with them to talk about it. Don't just be like, hey, you need this. But have you considered the claims of Christ? I'm a follower, and I would like you to be one too. Would you read this and let's talk about it? It's probably going to get harder and harder in our culture to admit that you follow Jesus. At one time, it was seen as a good thing, a positive. And then it was kind of a neutral thing. And in some 
arenas now, it's a negative thing. And to a great extent, Christians have done the damage to our own reputation. Many who have professed faith in Christ have lived lives that did not show the true beauty of Christ and have given Him a bad name. Live such good lives among the pagans, right? That we memorized before. We need to truly follow the true Christ, but we need to do it publicly and without fear of reprisal, come what may. Joe and Nick did it when Jesus was dead. How much more should you and I do it when we know the rest of the story? Even though he was dead, Jesus was inspiring bold witness. And not just bold witness, but bold worship. Look at what they did for this body. Look at verse 39 again. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Now this is not, this is not embalming. It's really just kind of taking away the smell factor and honoring the dead. 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. Kind of mummified, perhaps. Like, like a mummy, not mummified like in the Egyptian process, but those strips of linen, all so fragrant. This would have been an amazing smell. And then it, we also are told in the other Gospels that there was a shroud that he wore. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs, though it was way over top. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was Jewish, the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. 75 pounds of spices. The great Rabbi Gamaliel was buried with like 50 pounds of spices, which, you know, that was a lot. This is the kind of, this is the kind of amount of spices that you would reserve for royalty. 75 pounds. I mean, Joe and Nick must have brought some people with them, right? Maybe some of Joseph's servants carrying this stuff with them. You ever carry 75 pounds? Any distance? And the body? This was a weight of perfume that was reserved for royalty. This was an anointing fit for a king. And a king he was. Nicodemus had come to recognize that. Joseph of Arimathea had come to recognize that. They recognized King Jesus' worth. That's what worship is. And their fear of the Jews had turned to faith in Jesus and they put their money where their faith was and witnessed to and worshipped Him. Even though He was dead. Even though they were burying Him. Notice that they buried Him nearby. Very near where He was crucified. The garden was very close. The sun was going down. There wasn't much time until the Sabbath began and they were Jews. Their work had to cease. They had to get Jesus buried. There was a new tomb there. It was probably owned by Joseph of Arimathea himself. The rich would cut these tombs into the side of a rocky hill and put a whole family in there over time. They would open it up when somebody new died. Like we have the mausoleums, right? 
They had like that on the side of a, 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 a rocky hill. Then they would close it back up. We're told in the other Gospels that they had this big round stone that they rolled in front of it and sealed it. This one was completely empty. Unused. Nobody in there yet. Except Jesus. That fact will be important next week as well. Interestingly, this probably also fulfills Scripture too, right? Do you remember Isaiah 53? Prophesied 700 years before Jesus was even born. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 9 says, He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. He was dead and then buried in a rich man's grave near where he was crucified. A very findable spot, easy to locate. They all knew where Jesus was laid. That historical fact will be very important when we get to chapter 20. But we will leave that for next week. This week, let's just simply ponder what Jesus could accomplish even while there was no life in his body. He was still fulfilling scripture. And that means that nothing can stop the scripture from being fulfilled. Count on it. Believe. And he was still inspiring bold witness and worship. Count on that. And join the ranks of public disciples like Joe and Nick. Having the courage to follow Jesus out in the open in the light. Come what may.